Let me tell you a story, and I don't know how I feel about it. And I'm not just saying I don't know how I feel about it as a cop-out. I, I truly don't know how I feel about it. I'm split on this. I walked into a 7-Eleven, and I just forgot to wear my mask. Legitimately was in such a hurry. My mind was in a million places. I pull up to this 7-Eleven to buy a Gatorade. I, I walk in, and suddenly I notice the cashier and another worker both wearing masks, look at me, and as soon as they see me walk in, they remove their masks. And in that moment, it occurred to me, I wasn't wearing my mask. And and I felt naked. I was like, oh my God, oh, oh my God, I forgot my mask, oh my God. But then I realized what had just happened. They saw me coming, so they put their masks on, and then as soon as they saw that I wasn't wearing a mask, immediately they removed their masks. And so when I say I don't know how I feel about this, I don't know how I feel about it because I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of torn on it. Half of me is like, oh my God, there's this whole underground not mask wearing thing going on. <laughs> and as soon as they saw that I was, quote, one of them, they, uh, you know, they, they, they let down their guard. Or I don't, I mean, do I feel good about it? Am I like, yeah, you know, hey, Hey, we're on the same team here, you know, and no mask. Or do I feel like, hey, maybe we should all be taking this a little more seriously. And the fact that I forgot my mask, you probably should have told me to go back and get my mask. I don't know how I feel about it. 50-50. I'm torn. Uh, On today's podcast is an interview with Bob Matthews. And I love the way this interview turned out. Bob Matthews opens up in this interview like I have never heard him open up before. I mean, he tells a couple of stories, especially one towards the end, that I'm pretty sure he has never shared, period, anywhere. But Bob just uh, just announced he was retiring. I think his last show was uh, like a week ago on a Friday. He uh, had a very emotional show. He also shared with me, not in the podcast, but I think after we got done recording, that he actually had to utilize what's called the cough button, which means he turned off his microphone a couple times during that last show just because he was getting emotional. And, you know, Bob's a man's man. He can't be crying publicly like that. So he, he told, he shared that with me and also shared with me, and this does come up in the podcast, that he actually regrets it a little, a little bit. So we get to hear in this interview how Bob got his start. We get to hear a very fascinating story about his time in Vietnam. We'll hear how he became a big newspaper journalist, a columnist. We'll hear how he started in radio, what that career was like. We'll hear a little bit about Bob's personal life, unlike we've ever heard before. Um, You know, was there ever a love life for Bob Matthews? And, uh, and then, as I mentioned at the end, there's going to be a story that, that's going to leave you, I think, with a, uh, with a jaw drop, because it certainly did with me. So I hope you enjoy. One other note about this is Bob and I actually met to record this podcast in the lobby of the building where we both used to work, because w- there's no public places to go and record an interview anymore. So that was our best bet, was to meet in that lobby. And I was hoping they would let us tuck away into a corner or give us like a little janitor's closet or something that we could go record in. But instead, the security wouldn't let us leave the main lobby. So we ended up recording right in the main lobby there. So you're going to hear a lot of background noise at times. And it really was, a, it just to be honest, annoyed the shit out of me as it was happening. But there was nothing I could do about it. The interview was too good to start, stop it and start it over. So we just ran with it. So I'm sorry for the uh, background noise. There's also a little echo because we're in a lobby as opposed to a more soundproof area. But uh, I don't think it's too intrusive. And I hope you enjoy my interview with famed journalist, long time with over 70 years combined newspaper and radio, recently retired Bob Matthews. So one thing for us to know, Bob, is that uh, a we can curse, which is different. I don't curse. You can curse. I you could do do. I've heard you curse. I think you've didn't you curse with me on the phone when I called you to ask you to no have me on. I don't think so. I've heard you curse. 
I think when I drop something on my foot, I, I curse, but I try not to. When you and I were doing that uh, podcast for a little while with Carl, and mm-hmm. then for a, for a very little while with Sal, I remember we were allowed to curse, and you, you, like, you still didn't like cursing. You never. I didn't curse on that. You never did. You oh. hated that Sal and I cursed, and that Carl and I. I cursed. didn't hate it. You, do whatever the, you want to do. The other thing is, so we can curse, and the other thing is, we don't have to go to break. We can literally just talk. Really? How great is that? I don't know. We have to learn a whole new thing. Yeah. Well, congratulations on retirement. Well, I don't know if something to be congratulated about. It's, uh, I miss it. Yeah. It's the only thing I've ever done, write, write sports and then talk sports. You, you were talking about, and by the way, we should say we're recording this in a lobby of a public building right now because we couldn't find a better place. So if you hear background noise or echo, that's what's going on. You, you told me on the phone that you already regret leaving. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Did you regret it like instantly? How did it all happen? No, I, well, I really regretted it this week. It's been the longest week of my life. What I have mean, you been doing? Well, I'm getting, I don't have my cable TV until the first of the month. My radio conked out last night, mm. Thursday night, just conked out. No TV, no radio. No, no TV, no radio, uh, nothing to do, yeah. live by myself. Yeah. Um, time to get a too girlfriend. Old, too old to go out and shoot baskets. Bob, it's time to get a girlfriend. Too old to run life. around. Come on, man. No, I had my shot, had my chance. Don't you like going to the OTB? Oh, they're not even open, are Nothing's they? Nothing's open. Oh, by like the way. if I could go to a, I would like to go to movies a couple times a week. Yeah. Can't even see them. Are you, uh, how are you doing in this coronavirus thing? Because this thing has me. Well, that's, that's one reason that I did leave. There's only 10 people in the wham studios Mm -hmm. you know the whole complex there only 10 people have those passes that work in the office the The rest of the people are at home Uh, yeah fema passes that say you're so i had i had a comfy office you know with a tv and a really nice setup and so i i kind of liked it and after i do my show i go right to my office and start preparing for the next day's show yeah so you know, I, I really worked pretty hard, and I, but I enjoyed it because I love to do sports. Yeah. And so I had my computer and reading all the stuff. And um, one thing that bothered me a little bit, all of the stuff you got to pay for, I, I didn't ask. I think the station would have paid if I asked them, you know, like the Atlantic and all that stuff. You're talking about just being able to broadcast. Oh, oh you mean the show prep, like the show yeah, prep Yeah, the sites. show prep stuff. Yeah. And he, yeah. even ESPN, they got in-depth coverage you got to pay for. Yeah. Not much money. Yeah, they probably would have reimbursed you. I don't know you if they would have or not. I, I think they, they, they might have for Wheeze. I don't know if they would have for me. I bet I they would have. If anyway. my experience was, if your name was started with a Bob or a Wheeze, uh, you, you could probably get away with anything well, you I wanted. don't know. I never asked, but anyway. Well, you got to hold that mic right up. Did you? I think one week of retirement, you already forgot about talking into a microphone. <laughs> Bob, okay. uh, when, how did it go down? Like, who did you, how did you walk into the boss and say, hey, I think I'm done? Well. Because it came fast. No, well, after two months of supposed to do two hours of sports talk with no sports, it was going to be a hassle. Yeah. And so I was trying to kill time. I would, like, for example, I would pick out a song a night, and I, my producer, Pam or Sam, uh, they would take song requests from listeners. So I thought there was a good way to kill a little bit of time under the circumstances. But I got a couple of people. I did, I did texts a lot every night. Yeah. So people send texts. They say, oh, you're, you're, you're sloughing off. You, you got to play some music. Music on Wham? What are you doing? It bothered me a little bit. Yeah, but you, what you, like you said, what are you going to talk about? Your sports no, show? No, well, I, I talked about a lot of things. Yeah. And, and I've been listening the last week. All I do before my radio conked out, I was listening to the national guys. And the national guys are having problems, too, filling. Of course. But they pretty much have two people. How, how did it go down when you finally said, all right, guys, this is it. No, I'm I gave be- uh, two, uh, two weeks and two days notice. Uh-huh. And Bob Morgan, yep. the regional supervisor, um, he was very nice about it. He tried to have me stay. Yep. And... So uh, he tried to talk me out of it, and he was right. He said, what are you going to do if you don't have your show? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to relax. I am 73 years old. I do have diabetes, uh-huh. and I am the most vulnerable, they say. Yeah. 
now knock on wood or knock on whatever that is. What is that? I think it's glass. glass. Is that a glass knock table glass. there? Yeah. Um, I haven't had a sniffle. I haven't had a headache. I haven't had any problems whatsoever. I've always been pretty lucky yeah. about that kind of stuff. I break, I break my shoulder, my elbow, and my ankle on the left side, but I, I don't get sick. So, but I, another thing was a little disconcerting. You know, you'd walk around a corner, and people that you've worked with a long time, they would like jump away. Yeah, because you're at risk. And I felt like a. I didn't know if they were worried they'd make me sick or I might make them sick. No, no, we were worried we would make, because I was there for a little bit at the beginning of the coronavirus. We were worried we were going to make you sick because, you know, you're, you're what's considered at risk, right? You've got diabetes and you're, yeah. uh, can yeah, I but, say, an older gentleman. Well, true, I guess. But yeah. one misconception is the only way if your mouth is covered, you can walk by people yeah. and you can't spread it. Yeah. That's uh, the only way you can get it, I, I believe, from what I read, is if you cough pretty much directly into somebody's face <laughs> or you sneeze into somebody's face, uncovered. But and that wasn't going to happen with me. I mean, I avoided people. I did six feet. But sometimes when you go around a corner in the office, yeah. you the, just you're face to face with people. Can I tell you something, though? The avoiding, the avoiding thing is starting to, both sides are starting to piss me off because you get some people who, who want to go back to normal and not take any precautions. Well, and, and, but, but then you got other people who think that if they come within six feet of a human being, they're going to shrivel up and die. Well, they, they're they, not. They're, they're somewhere in between is where we need to be. They're not. Right? Yeah. But that's why I'm a sports guy. Not many people want to see sports resume more than me. But I'm on the side. I think it's stupid. I don't think they're going to play baseball this year. I don't think they're going to play NFL. I don't think they're going to play... NHL or NBA sounds good they're trying because they want their money it's not going to work without fans first of all it's no fans can did go Joe Buck play. say they're going they might do fake football noise did I hear that yes. they might actually do fake sound effects yeah. during the football it, games yes they're talking about doing that <laughs> I think that will sound hokey. So, it'll I be mean, so corny it's pretty hokey <laughs> but um so anyway so uh Bob how did you get your your big break because at some point you were just Bob Matthews the new kid right I mean you at some point broke well, into the business how did it happen for you well in, in in high school at Brighton High School yeah um I was a jack you know I was high scoring the basketball team but I didn't play defense <laughs> other guys are better than me but I scored a lot of points that's the secret and yeah. I was uh you didn't waste you your know, energy I, I was uh, number one on the baseball team you know, I stole a lot of bases when I got on, but I didn't get on that much. So you were a real athlete. You I were was okay. Kid. But then I went to Gettysburg College. I thought I could play basketball, and I loved Civil War history. So I said that was a good combination. My dad was a nice guy, so he let me go there. He went to Yale. My dad was second in his class in Yale. Wow. What did he genius. do for a living? Uh, he was, worked at Kodak. He was a mechanical engineer. He had all kinds of patents. Yeah. But he never... He was disappointed. I wasn't that smart, you know. I got <laughs> B minuses in high school. You know, I didn't really study that much. I was always goofing around, and uh, so he didn't pressure me to be a, a good student or anything. And he let me pick, I pick out a school, and I think my sisters all went to state schools because they were cheaper. But I went to Gettysburg, which was kind of expensive. And um, what turned out, they had a pretty good basketball team. I played freshman. I was like the sixth man, and that was it. But then I played. Intermurals. I was intramural athlete of the year one year. That yeah, was I would exciting. do. Yeah, but you probably. But I also, I would slip. Uh, well, in high school, look, again, in high school, my senior year, uh, I did this thing called Baron Essentials. It was seven or eight pages of sports notes, and I would run them off in a mimeograph machine in the in the office of the principal, and they distribute them after after school on Fridays. So that's, I guess, where I got started writing sports, and then in college. Uh, I did the same thing. I wasn't on the staff at the Gettysburgian, which was a newspaper, weekly newspaper. But I, I started slipping columns underneath the door of the sports editor. And one day I was shocked to see, actually the first one I published, I, I wrote, uh, it, was in the, it was in the paper. That was a pretty big deal. I was pretty excited. Do you remember what that very first article you ever were published yeah, it was about? Yeah, it was about the coach of uh, the little, some uh, little... The little coach of Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I even forget what school it was. But anyway, but um, so then every week I would slip a thing, and he, he ran them every time. That's awesome. Well, it, it was cool. That's the thrill. That did you were you super thrilled with that? And you were like, you oh just, yeah, you get a no, high off that, right? Sure. Like, wow, this is cool. Sure. Yeah. So 
Then I went to, uh, I would write a real low number for the draft. Oh, there's a cart. There's a guy with a cart going by. This, yeah. I hate that we have to do this no. in the lobby, by the way. had a real low number for the draft, like under 10. I forget what it was exactly. So I enlisted, and I said I wanted to be a clerk. So because I was a college graduate, didn't work out. Well, you so enlisted because you figured you were going to get drafted anyway. Yes. So you're like, let me go yes. in on my own terms. Yes. Yeah. But they, they, they sent me to sergeant school. Were you shitting yourself at all at that point? No. So I, I, was, I sent a letter to uh, our, uh, one of our guys in Washington. And that's what, and I just said, you know, I don't mind if they want to make me a, a grunt, if they want me to go in the jungle, just don't make me a sergeant leading other guys into battle. <laughs> you know, I, if you want to send me there, fine. I, I told them I, I've, um, I enlisted as a clerk. I never, they never said one, thir- one thing about being a clerk. So then, so uh, we go to basic training and everything, basic training and everything. And uh, so the, the congressman uh, letter came and they said, um, Matt, Private Matthews, uh, uh, he's, he's not, he doesn't want to be a soldier. So then I was a company clerk for um, basic training. Okay. And so then sergeant school, but I was the clerk. I wasn't, I wasn't a sergeant. What I does a clerk, a clerk actually do? What's the job? Oh, it's, you, it's, you, you do all the paperwork, and it's a lot, which I'll get to very mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. So then we go over to Vietnam. There are three trucks full of raw recruits. We go, we drive into this uh, um, where there's a lot of huts and everything, and so this guy comes out. He says, uh, well, I'm the, I'm the commander of this uh, fire base, and uh, we have three companies. One of our company clerks had mal- has malaria. We need a clerk. And I, well, I was kind of pretty excited. <laughs> so then he said, how many of you guys graduated from high school? Yeah, about 300 guys. Uh, about half of them raised their hands. The other half didn't even graduate from high school. Then he said, how many of you went to college? No, only about 25 out of 300 guys. 25 out of 300 guys. Starting to like my odds. How many of you graduated from college? I was the only one left. Wow. He says, what's your name? Private Matthews. He said, Private Matthews, hop off of there. You're the clerk. One, week, one month into... Uh, Jackpot, man. One you- month into the, uh, the guy, the, the clerk. Uh, the other clerks helped me. I didn't know how to be a clerk, but I learned pretty quick. But after one month... Uh, my company, where I would have been had I not been made the clerk, my company got overrun Whoa. by uh, the NVA and the Viet Cong. And again, I was back in the rear area. Yeah. And so was the, the company commander. was <laughs> also back there that particular night. So the word came the next morning. We had like uh, totally overrun. We had like 40 guys killed. Oh, my God. 40 guys seriously wounded. And all they found, uh, the bad guys, were blood trails into the jungle. And Ugh. it turned out our guys, a lot of them were on, uh, had been smoking pot, and they just snuck up on our guys, and it was a, it was a massacre. Oh, my God. So the, and you could have been up there. Oh, I, oh, I would have been. Yeah. And I would have been, I, I'd been cowering probably. I wouldn't have been a John Wayne or anything. Uh-huh. So then the, the, the company guy that was, comes to me that morning and says, well, you've got to go out there. What? You've got to go out there and identify the bodies. It's a just, you know, red tape. That's SOP. That's how you did it. The company clerk technically identified the dead people and everything. I'd never seen a dead person in my life. You see all these 40 guys chopped up, blown up. Did it make you want to throw up or what? Well, well, yeah. Yeah. So he says to me, oh, by the way, he, I want you to put in my men for, for medals. So I said, okay. And I said, I want you to put me in for a medal for the Congressional Medal of Honor. And I'm thinking, you know, he wasn't even He wasn't there. in there. Yeah, he wasn't in the no, shit, but as they say. I think he, thought, he saw what I was thinking. Uh-huh. And he said, well, there's two people that know what happened, you and me. Oh, and my God. And if you want to go out there tomorrow, and maybe what happened to them will happen to you, uh, you'll say something. So I didn't. So I rode up for two days and two nights. I concocted a battle with drawings, 
You we, just created the, yes. a fake story? Yes. We killed hundreds of Vietnamese. Now, I guess it, it couldn't happen. We had no fire support, no fire ships or anything like that. Yeah. We got pretty much destroyed. If you had been fact-checked, they would have known you were lying. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you got to understand, back then, they wanted body counts. You know, you wanted... So, so anyway, so uh, I concocted this battle. I, I was also a pretty good drawer. So I, I was drawing... At night, I was doing this, and day, just thinking about those 40 dead guys. So I'm, um, I concocted a battle with all these little pictures, and we just, we totally, we, we hauled ass. We killed them. We killed a lot of them. So about two months later, this big box, big box comes to the company uh, little shed there the, where I'm sitting there typing the daily log or something. And I open it up. They were the approval of all the awards that I'd written up. And Ugh. all those kids who probably most of them never fired a shot, uh-huh. you know, were slaughtered. They got Awards. medals. And their parents, I'm happy to say, their parents think their kids were heroes. Well, how, how? Some of them might have been. I wasn't there. But we didn't find any bodies. I said, we just saw blood trails. But wait a minute. How, so when the, when so did you guy, tell this story? Like, I mean, is this the... I told f- him before. I told Lonsper, I, how, how many years did you keep this, keep this under wraps? No, well, I don't know. A while. Wow. But it... But it's just, it, I'm, I'm sure it happened to other people, too. Yeah. We didn't, you know, body count, again, was the big thing. Yep. They would exaggerate, you know? I mean, yeah. if you shoot a water buff, buffalo, they'd count it as a, you killed a yeah. bad Vietnamese So did, did this stuff screw so, you up at all in no, the head? No, I mean. No, I was, just, I was just counting days till I could go home. But then, um, so the guy that I put in, for the highest medal, he got knocked down to a silver star. He's one that didn't get what I put in for, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm very, I'm kind of proud that all those other guys, because they were all heroes, yeah. just to be out there. Yeah, just be in there, sure. And another thing, another thing, I gave Bob Lonsberry when I was going through all my stuff at the station. For some reason, I had this uh, picture of uh, Congressional Medal of Honor winners. There were like uh, 40 of them on this picture. All 40 were white. Mm-hmm. My company? Yeah. There were about 130 guys in the company. Oh, I would say 30 of them were white. The rest were, were brown-skinned. And you got them all medals, Americans. But they, got all, they all got medals, they were, though, right? Yeah. But yeah. They, were in, they were out in the bush. And in the back, the guys, myself, and the guys that were in charge of the equipment, they tended to be white most of the time, not only in my company, but all the companies. So I just said to Bob, Bob, this is pretty strange. I was over there, my company, out in the bush where you win medals, was probably 80% black and it, it, it still bothers me. All these guys that got this Congressional Medal of Honor are white. How, did, how does that happen? The whole thing. The whole thing was the concocted. Thing was I mean, kind of a sham. We all know it now, but I didn't know it then. What happened when you got home from the war? Were you okay, you weren't screwed up? And my my um, my stepmother and my father they just wanted me gone. You know, that, that's common. They didn't want you living at home. No, no. And I'd never lived by myself before. I'd never been on my own. You know, I was on a fraternity at college, and I was in Vietnam. But there were a lot of people around. All well, the did time. you have to get a job so right I, away? So I, mean, I went what? to. Uh, I, the first night, my, my dad, he helped me to get all my furniture from my bedroom. You know, he helped me take it. And the first, the first try was the, the YMCA. And the first night in the shower, guy tried to get a little friendly. Get out of here. Yeah. So I called my dad and I just, dad, I don't know about this. So, um. How did, wait, hold on. How did this guy come on to you? Hold on a second. I don't, I don't want to get into it. But it he just, did he just walk into yeah, where you were? I don't know, but it was just, it was just pretty bad. So the next day, <laughs> so the next day I go to the paper because I wanted to write. Yeah. And I told him, I said, I want to be a sports writer. So they said, well, I don't know. They, I, again, I was a college graduate when I was in Vietnam and all that. So um, they sent me to the, uh, the linotype room where they, all the clickers are. There's all, in the olden days where all the news came. And so they had these machines where you had to change, insert the paper, and they had blades, and you could cut your hands and fingers. And I, 
And I just said, I, after one day, I just went to the, the boss, the, the head of the, the wire room there, and I said, I, I just can't hack this. So he said, well, let me try to do something. You come in again tomorrow. So I got interviewed by the uh, sports editor, Frank Carden, and, you know, he gave me a shot. Was he just asking you questions about sports? No. Testing he, your no, knowledge? They, he, yeah, I don't know, but he, he just... He, he thought I had some potential, I guess, and just talking to him, he knew I loved sports. So um, I was taking scores like everybody does over the telephone for, I think, only maybe only one year. And then he, um, I became a full-fledged member of the staff, covered high schools for, I think, two years. Then um, the longtime columnist there uh, decided, for some reason, he didn't want to do a column anymore. His name was Bruno Snyders. I don't know, maybe he was having an uh, argument with Frank Cardin or something, I don't know. But he didn't want to do a column anymore. So Frank, Frank said, you want to try it? I said, sure. I was like 28 years old. Probably the youngest, the youngest columnist, or one of the youngest in the country. And we were mi- middle-sized paper. What paper is this, by the way? This, it was at the Times Union. Okay. So anyway. What was that very first column you wrote then I don't, professionally? I don't, I don't remember. But um, the thing I'm proudest of when we... Uh, um, you know, I won a lot of the, the uh, Sports Writer of the Years for the uh, City Magazine. And I got, I think, five-time winner of the Sports Writer of the Year at the Press Rail Club dinner. I think, I think Scott Petonia came close. He had four. I had five. But um, What is it that you do? What, why are you so? Because I know so many people, when you retired, so many people had things to say about you. And how well, cause, you... No, because I worked, I worked hard, but I never... It's because I didn't really have much of a life, you know. I, w- I worked so hard. I worked, I worked really hard. Like Is, here, after my show here at Wham, I would stay up here because I had the TV in my office and I had all of the computers and everything. I would usually go home about midnight because I was preparing for my next day's show. And I was, I'd come in at 9 in the morning. Can I ask you a deep question for a second? Huh. It, is there any part of you that regrets how hard you worked? Because you, yes, you're not married. right you now. Are, you're not married, no kids. Do you wish you were married and had kids, anything like that? No. Unfortunately, I always liked, uh, liked women that were way out of my league. Me too. You know what I mean? Me too, like, but I convinced um, one example, to marry me. For example, for example, since you asked, yeah. there was this girl in high school, Joe Coleman, she uh, was a Monroe County Harvest Queen. Yeah. Back then, it was a big deal. You know, all of the, all of the cities, all of the towns yeah. had competition. <laughs> and she was, she was beautiful. Like, she went, uh, after she won, she went to uh, New York City to be interviewed for a job. And you were a star athlete. No, wait, wait, wait. wait I, no, well, a guy hit on her, and her dad just was furious and said, no, that's it, Joe. She would have been in the movie. They said beautiful. But anyway, so she was going out with a big jock. For but you were years. the big Way, jock, I thought. She was going out, you know, big, muscular, handsome guy. But they split up just before the, the competition for the Harvest Queen. And so out of Clear Blue Sky, she calls me up. I hardly knew her. That's right. But she, no, but she called me up. Leading scorer. And I said, Joe, no, no. I said, Joe, well, I was also vice president of the student council. And How about stuff. that? And, but I, anyway, so I said, Joe, I'm really flattered, but. See, I, I don't dance. And so I said, how about ask Richie. Richie Rosenthal was one of my best friends in high school. I said, have Richie take. Richie's very handsome, tall guy. And I think that helped her win. So he took her. But, Joe, I, I, I really appreciate it. So the next year, um, to kind of pay, pay me back, I guess, uh, the Christmas uh, Phi Sigma Kappa, my fraternity, yeah, all the guys – uh, invite their the ones the older guys of course had girlfriends on campus but the the younger guys most of us that were freshmen we called home to our high school sweethearts and she wasn't my sweetheart but um but I just I, I called and asked Joe you want to come for our uh, Christmas house party and she she said I sure and there I'll tell you, you go, Bobby. well I'll tell you I remember my my fraternity brother my uh, was a high scorer in history of the school by the way he, he recruited me here. He, I, I pledged because he was in the fraternity. So he gave me his car. I remember driving to Harrisburg to pick up Joel from the train. 
And when when I walked in there for that, <laughs> with her, the guy let's let's just say the guys thought I was a pretty cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we had a, I had fun for a couple of days, but that was it. Then I went back home for Christmas break, and she didn't even know who I was. But really, was a, not well, were you in love did. with her? No, I was I was I was impressed by her. She was beautiful. So I've had some other um, you had I've a had fun some other her, some though. other girls yeah. here and there along the line, but uh, messed around a little bit, and um, but I'm. For most of my life, I can't imagine myself. I was too selfish, you know. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to go. I drank too much. I went to all the sporting events. And, and you worked your ass off. You built, you yes, built a did. career. You're a I legend did, in this I town. But I spent, I blew most of my money on the horses. I love horse racing. What's your biggest hit my, ever horse racing? Biggest huh? win you've ever had a horse racing? Nothing special. No? Nothing special. Well, d- give me a dollar amount. The most you've no, ever No, nothing. Won. Nothing special. What, all right, what's your and biggest I lost, loss? Uh, I, I, I save all of my... Because I hit a couple jackpots at the casino a couple years. Not huge, you know. Yeah. Maybe $2,000. Okay. That's okay? good. Well, so I start saving my losing tickets from horse racing. Because technically, if you, can, you can balance it out. If you, if you make a lot of money, if you can prove you lost as much money. You don't have to claim the tax no. is what you're saying? So yeah. this past year, no, the year before last, I was, I had a... Two bags of Wegmans losing tickets. <laughs> so I added them up because I said, man, I might get audited. I might get audited just in case. So I, I, I stacked them all up by month. $38,000. Oh, my God. In losing tickets, right? Yeah. Now, I did win some days. Now, I didn't lose every day on the horses, but I usually did. And, I mean, anybody that knows me, they could vouch for me. They say, Bob, he never wins. But I never thought I'd lose $38,000 in one year. It was a joke. Does that hurt? I mean, does that oh, make yeah. you regret oh, it at definitely. all? Definitely. Like now, the rest of my life, yeah. I got a nice pension from the paper, but I don't know how. They tell me the paper pension is guaranteed, but, you know, Gannett's not doing too I know, well. I was going to say, I don't think anything with the paper is guaranteed right now. No, but I think <laughs> the government does guarantee pensions, I think. Yeah. Plus, I got Social Security. And uh, but now this was like this was like gravy. The radio station it was nice. It was well. It was well let me go back to you when you were just twenty eight years old and you're you're starting to you're writing a column. You're regular. When did you start to realize that you weren't just the new kid anymore? But now you were really. Because I worked hard. I but, worked. But hard. how many I, years I knew, did I it just take? New sports and I had a. Okay, my hero growing up was Dick Young. You probably never heard of him. No. But he was uh, the New York City lead columnist, a legend in New York City. He did notes columns. Mm-hmm. And I, I, read, I read sports columns all over the country, okay? He was the first guy that did a notes column, and he was the first guy I read every day. And I said, man, I really enjoy this. Because, you know, sometimes these guys, more flowery writers and stuff, they just write about one subject. And if, if a reader doesn't particularly like the subject, they don't read the whole column. But I think my column, people tended to read the whole thing. And Frank Carden, my boss, and later the DNC guys, they let me write as much as I wanted. I always, some columnists were held to the front page. I'd like to go on occasion inside the paper and I would write a whole, the whole full page. Um, like during um, every, every Monday during NFL season, I would do a whole page, a whole page, mm-hmm. summarizing the whole league. What's the, the with, single best column you ever wrote your I whole career? I, I can't, I don't know. The one that just was so buzzworthy. What'd you win an award for? Any particular one? No, I don't remember. I, I like to think when I was in my prime, I had a lot of good columns. Um, what was your favorite subject to write about? Anything. Well, baseball. I love baseball. baseball. Yeah. But I think another thing I was kind of proud of, I tried to treat our local pro teams like major league teams. You always did have no, their No, but back. there was a time, I don't know if you, were, you weren't around then, but um, they had uh, one of the local, one of the national sports magazines i forget what it was called now but they uh they selected a minor league city of the year and rochester won it two years in a row and it wasn't a fluke we had at one time i believe we had 11 pro teams God. and we covered them like crazy we had a tremendous sports staffs at the both the tu and the dnc tremendous sports staffs they could have we won an award two years in a row for the best middle-sized sports section in the country what, kill, what killed local? You know, people still love going to Red Wings games, Amherst teams, but they don't get big crowds. I mean, what killed it? What well, made- no, well the, the, the team does a good job. Like, for example, some of the, some of the things they do, like uh, 
I've, I've written it and said it, and maybe got some people mad, including the front office at the Red Wings. When I was covering the team, you wouldn't have had garbage plates on the jerseys of the players, believe me. Just too cartoony? It's just too it's corny? Too, these guys are one step away from the major leagues. Yeah. And they have them wear garbage plates on their shirts. You think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they didn't complain. They got to get asses in like seats, it. though, you know? They got to get people. But also, I think that. I think back then there were so there were fewer diversions for people and and they were more inclined to support the teams. Mm-hmm. I worry about the future of pro sports in Rochester. They're never going to be as big a deal as they used to be. But like for example, the minor league baseball now, you probably heard they're dropping 40 mm-hmm. minor league teams, mm-hmm. including the entire NYP league for example. Um I feel bad for people in Batavia, they're not going to have a team anymore. Mm-hmm. But um I feel bad for people in Batavia just But period. I'm a little worried about uh, Rochester because they're going to have a geographical – when the, the new commissioner, I think, doesn't know what he's doing. But he is going to have uh, – by geography, they're going to realign the parent clubs, the major league teams, with their AAA affiliates. And we don't really mesh with Minnesota. No. So Minnesota, one of the – in this new realignment, it's very – it's rumored and probably is going to happen, St. Paul – which had an independent team last couple of years, tremendously well supported. They are going to probably join the International League, and they're going to hook up with Minnesota. So what will happen to the Red Wings? I don't know. I, I fear. Now, this is just me. I hope I'm wrong. When you match up geographics with the Major League teams and the AAA teams now, we're kind of like we're not going to get Minnesota. And we've yeah. been there with them for two and a, and, and Buffalo's Yan- close to Cleveland Buffalo and Toronto. Toronto. Buffalo yeah, is Toronto. Okay. Uh, um, Pittsburgh Pirates? Uh, no, I don't no. know. I forget. But, and the Yankees are scranton Wilkesbury, which is much yeah. closer. Yeah. I, I didn't really know it, but scranton Wilkesbury is much closer to New York City than and, Rochester. And Syracuse has the Mets. Syracuse has the Mets. Ugh. So there's speculation. Maybe we'll get Washington. Mm. Okay. But, but anyway, I, I worry about the Amherst. Because this stupid pandemic, if you can't have live crowds... I don't think the major leagues are going to subsidize AAA even. I wouldn't be surprised if there's no AAA next year. Does it break your heart to see this yes. happen? Yes. Oh, very yeah. much so. And the Amherst. Okay, the Amherst. I'm not sure there's going to be American Hockey League next year because look at the Bagulas. They're getting killed in the natural gas, but you think they want to lose money on the Amherst without a crowd and without any TV. I mean, the NHL has TV contract at least, nothing like – baseball or football but they make money on broadcasting their games nationally we don't have we don't have any tv so there's no way if you don't have concessions and 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 live crowds for minor league baseball they can't i don't i don't i don't think i think maybe they'll have a couple of uh each team will have their top prospects in florida or arizona and they'll play against each other and maybe get called up when they need somebody. But I, that's if this pandemic continues. And by the way, Paulie, I'm afraid it is going to, uh, you know, you hear all these things oh, yeah. that are opening up. How, I, don't, I don't understand how they'd be so confident there's going to be an NFL this year when the, when the experts, the medical people, they're telling us there's going to be another spike in the fall. Yeah, they're playing in football like, like, like they, it's going like normal. I don't, I don't think, I don't think the... Uh, the NHL and the NFL and the NBA, I don't think they really expect to play, but they're trying to, they're trying to be optimistic. No, this, uh, this pandemic is going to be here for years. My parents have oh. Indian season tickets, Cleveland Indians. They told me to cancel them because they don't feel comfortable going to the stadium. They oh, don't want to go not, not this year, not next year. They don't want to go till there is a No, but people vaccine. are trying to be. Well, and, but there are, as you well know, Paulie, there are parts of the country where you, you are relatively safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no, why do you think New York City accounts for what, half the deaths? Because it's a highly populated pigsty, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway. Bob, let me go back to your career. Uh, newspaper, what year did you leave the paper officially? Okay, 19, uh, no, 2012. Uh, well, the first, the first inkling, they came out. Well, for, oh, if I could say, they merged the papers. Yeah. First, they got rid of the Times Union. Yep. But the Times Union and the Democrat Chronicle, for the last two years, when there were still two different papers, I wrote a different column five days a week during the week, 
for each paper. So you were writing 10 Because I was with well, then plus Sunday, I had a huge column. Who did you send the best one to? <laughs> no, I, I, I <laughs> or they tried all to do it equal. <laughs> yeah. But the point was, my, most of the people grew up reading me in the Times Union. And then we got switched to the DNC. I felt obliged. I felt I, had, I should do something for the TU people. And it, frankly, I got in a little bit of trouble because they were trying to kill a TU at the time. And I just said, well, well I want to give for? the people like, some. So just, then we merged. And, and then and 20. Well, hold on. Hold on. You said you got in trouble. What did you do? You like you would give a shout no, out. They, the they, they wanted the columnists to write the same thing for both papers. Oh, yeah. Try yeah, to yeah. kill it to you. Yeah. Because more people bought the morning paper than the evening paper. Yeah. But anyway, so then um, 2012, uh, they sent out this thing that the Gennett was in a little bit of trouble, I guess. They were starting to get. A, so they they wanted to get rid of people that made too much money. So they said the following people are eligible for a buyout where you got a year's pay and yeah. they, they bought you out. So they're asking you yes. to retire, basically. And I was, yeah, yeah. basically, yeah. yeah. And I was like 65. It was time for me to retire anyway. And again, they, behind the scenes, they asked me to stay, the big shots. But they didn't really feel bad when I left. So I just, I thought it was time. And Those are mixed Plus signals. I had this, but I had this gig. Well, yeah, when did you start radio and how did you start radio? 1985, Jeff Howlett. Just and called you and said, hey, why don't you come yeah, out? Yeah, I said, I want to give it a try. And I remember that night leaving the paper, I said, well, this is going to be interesting. I don't know how long I'll last, maybe a night. And the first night was pretty rough. I, mean, I didn't know what I was doing. but So 35 years later. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, what did you like better, radio or newspaper? Oh, newspaper. Yeah. But I like to talk to people on the, you know, in, the, in my radio show. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I thought it was okay. Your radio show was great. People loved it. I don't know. It was okay. It wasn't, wasn't fabulous, but it lasted 35 years. That's not bad. I think, as far as I know, it was the longest-running sports talk show in the country. I mean, active. Did you... Um, I think maybe in the olden days there might have been some that did longer, but I don't think... I think I had the long, When I left last week, I think 35 years might have been the longest... Oh, it's got to be. I don't know. Because I'm trying to think. Wee's has been on a long time, but I don't think it's been 35 oh, years. I don't know. I don't That's know when. Maybe around. Started. Maybe he has, actually. I'm not sure, actually. Well, but, one thing, and I'm not complaining. One thing that I've always thought Wee's was lucky. He had super. Wee's is a legend, you know. Yeah. He had super talented people. Yeah. Did so much work for him. I basically, my producers. Yeah. They're bored with a very few yeah. exceptions. They're great people. I mean, I know they, some of them. Yeah, they are yeah. great people, but they're not sports people. They couldn't help me, you know? Yeah. I, I couldn't talk to them. And some of them, some of them wanted to be, were, were wannabes. Mm-hmm. But um, like Craig Schaller, for example, he tried. He was probably the most sports-minded producer I had. But uh, so anyway. When did you make the decision to retire? We already talked about when you what? brought it up from radio. When did you in your own head say, you know what, I know, again, I, I, earlier I said I thought I just, it was um, the pandemic got me. Coronavirus got me. So did you walk around here for a couple months thinking, you know, I probably, I probably, this is probably. No, it. I said, I don't know. Because again, I'm on the negative side here. I'm not optimistic about this ending anytime soon. Yeah. And for two months, it was really hard for me to do two hours of sports talk. Like I said, I tried to do some other things. Not all of them were well accepted by my audience. And I just thought, if I thought this pandemic was going to be over, you know, in June, like some people think it is, I would have stuck around. But I, I don't think it is. And um, plus, I, again, I am 73. And I am, they say, highly vulnerable. Can you talk real quick about the time you got into a fight with Brother Wiggs? <laughs> Didn't get in a fight. I heard that they, the security guard had to get between you guys. I think twice, maybe. <laughs> what twice. happened? Was I it just know. political? Oh, yeah. You're conservative? He's liberal? No, I'm, get... I'm, I'm mildly conservative. He is so far left. He's about as he's, far left he, as you can go. He is as far left as you can go. Which I does. never understood. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, he just, uh, I forget. I heard that the security guard had to actually break you guys up one time. No, I think I think Weez was probably lucky. Uh-oh. Oh. I think. He doesn't know he's messing with. That's a star athlete. No. Bob no, I, Matthews out of Brighton. Well. High score in basketball. Well. Baseball star. Not as baseball. I stole a lot of bases, but I didn't get on much. <laughs> Every time I got on base at Brighton, I would steal second and third pretty much. You were I, fast. No, I, could, I knew how to get a jump on the pitchers. And let's face it. Baseball players around here back then weren't that great. Yeah. It was tough to throw out a base stealer. Yeah. 
But anyway, what's your what's your best uh, favorite? I already asked you favorite column you ever did. So now let me ask you a radio show question. What's your favorite well, radio? I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time with Fred Smurlis through the years. Yeah. Um, you know, Fred, what a lot of people never realized, he was paid. I've been with Fred for more than 30 years on the air when he was a star. Uh-huh. You know, we paid him when he was a star. And uh, but then the last probably 15 years, we didn't pay him anymore. And he still did it. He wanted to do it because he, he liked, liked you. No, he liked to talk to the people he in Western Europe. He liked you too. Well, remember, well, I don't know if you weren't around again. He was going to move here and run against, uh, uh, who was that congresswoman that was here for a million years? Wasn't Louise Slaughter? Louise, yeah. 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 Fred, Fred was going to run He was going to go up against Louise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would have got clobbered. But anyway, also, I also, for, uh, for many years when we were at the Buffalo Bill station, I would do the uh, coach uh, the coach every year and my f- my favorite was probably Wade Phillips. He was good. Marv was good and the worst one They gave me a player a famous story the player Rob Johnson mm-hmm. You probably heard of Rob Johnson. I a have surfer. I have the dullest <laughs> So for the first show I it was the longest hour of my life. I couldn't get anything out of him He never talks and when he did talk he didn't make any sense so I just went to the bosses. I said, hey, I can't, I can't do this guy anymore. I just can't do it. So Mike Shope was my producer at the time. Now, there's a guy who knew a lot about sports, but he wasn't my producer very long. So Mike, Mike did it for the rest of the year, and I think that proved to prospective employers that he, he's got something on the ball if he could put up with Rob Johnson for a right. year. And he wound up now. He's a you know, big ace in Buffalo. Who's the best person you ever got to interview? Let's talk most famous. Most famous you ever got to interview? Well, Roberto Clemente, probably. Were you nervous at all? Well, Do you get nervous? This for- is what happens. Uh, again, when I was young and aggressive, Roberto Clemente came to the Press Radio Club, I think it was 1971. He was one of the finalists for the Athlete of the Year. And uh, for the little uh, media confab before the dinner, he wasn't there. They said, where's Clemente? Where's Clemente? He said, oh, he's up in his room. He doesn't want to come down. He didn't speak English real well and all that, but... So me, being young and aggressive, I wouldn't have done it towards the end, but at the time I was, I was trying to impress. This was before I was a columnist. So um, I pretended I was a, a bellhop, you know, <laughs> service. <laughs> so I, I, got, I borrowed a cart. There was a cart laying out there. So I pushed the cart, knocked on the door, and uh, Clemente opened the door. He says, I didn't ask, in his accent, he didn't, I didn't ask for room service. I said... Roberto, you're my favorite player, which he was. And um, you got a couple minutes. Can you help me out here? I'm trying to impress my boss. Wow, you were aggressive. No, but he was the nicest guy for about 20 minutes. I did get the exclusive interview. Yes. And he became even more my favorite player. When he died, two people, I I teared up and really bawled my eyes out when they died. Roberto Clemente, when he died in a plane crash. And Luke Easter, my all-time favorite Red Wing, got shot when he was taking some money to a bank for his uh, people he worked with, and two, two, two thugs just shot him down, killed the guy. Luke Easter, yeah. you, well, you're from Cleveland. You probably have heard of him, right? I, I actually have not. I'm not going to lie. No? I don't know Luke Easter. Is well, that- Luke Easter was a, a huge left-handed power-hitting first baseman. He was black. So he didn't, his prime years, he played in the, in the Negro Leagues, so finally, Bill Veck gave him a shot. Bill Veck was a very colorful owner. He gave him a shot to play for the Cleveland Indians. Oh, okay. So this he was, was one of my people then. Yeah. I like it. So for three years in Luke. Cleveland, he, he hit like 86 home runs, like 300 RBIs, one of the best, player, one of the best sluggers in, in the American League. Now he was in his late, mid to late 30s when this happened. So then he hurt his knees. He couldn't run anymore. So he went to Charleston first, then he went to Buffalo for three years, and then the last year he was in Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo wanted a younger guy at first base, so they sold him to Rochester for $100. And fans here were so excited that season that Luke Easter was uh, joining the Red Wings, and uh, he had 22 home runs. He was like 47 years old, couldn't run at all, but he was my, he was my hero, my, my favorite player of all time. Played here for six years. And he was just, uh, when he finally retired, he, he said he was 52. 
but he was probably only 48 or 49. Maury Silver, the owner of the team, Luke, we're going we're gonna to make a little deal here. I'll give you $10 for every year you will admit to. So Luke said, well, my baseball age is 42, but my real age is 52. And it turned out after he died and they found his birth certificate, he was really 48. Oh, he split. His last yeah, year. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but he wanted the extra money. Yeah. But he was a good guy, very good guy. Bob, were your parents alive long enough to see you be so successful in media? I don't want to get into that. No? No. Is it a touchy subject? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Very touchy. That's very... T- I didn't realize that. Well, Did my you? mother committed suicide when oh, uh, I, God, was f- I, I was 14 years old. That's not a very good time, but I, I can't cry knew. too much because I had three younger sisters, yeah. and uh, one of whom was barely old enough to know her. And my father, like I said, we had... My father at Kodak, he was immediately a big shot. He was second in his class at Yale, I told you. Yeah. So he just... Uh, took a fancy to a cafeteria worker, farm girl at Kodak, and they got married. And it was a big coup at the time, I guess, for uh, her family, because she got out of the farm, you know. And uh, so I just think uh, that's, that's one reason why I'm sure I didn't get married. I saw they were never really, I don't think, in love, you know. Uh-huh. And so it was, uh, it was pretty tough. Um, so my dad... We were um, one one day in high school. Um, the 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 turning point. One day in high school, uh, I was with my buddies. We were in a dairy on Monroe Avenue after after a practice. I don't know if it was baseball or basketball. And the the proprietor locked the door on us. Said, "You guys have been stealing. You guys have been stealing from me." And he was it was it was somebody else. I I, I think. So I got home, my father's by the door, says, you embarrassed, what are you doing? What are you embarrassed? Dad, I didn't do anything. And, he's, and he, he kind of threatened me and chased me around the yard. And after that, it was never the same. He, like, I, you know, I was a pretty good basketball player. I don't think he ever, as far as I know, he never went to a game. Oh, my God. But he was very smart. He was a genius. And... Yeah, but and like, he—I don't think he was tight with any of the kids, to be honest with you. Bob, I'm so sorry, man. No, I didn't well, know hey, had it had, a lot of people have it worse than me. There's orphans all over the place, and but these parents, a lot of a lot of people don't even know who their parents are. These parents gotta show support. So then, my father, he married another thing. I shouldn't resent it. Who knows? I wasn't in his shoes, but he got married less than six months later, and so the stepmother comes in, and you know, yeah. myself and my three sisters were kind of like. Secondary people, and she Ugh. had two kids or something. But you asked, I never would have met, I never would have brought it up, Paul. You, you asked, so have you ever talked about that before? Well, my no, not much. No, no. I mean, no, but like, I, I don't like one guy said a thing, oh, you're, you're gay, you must be gay. Well, there was the incident at the YMCA that one time. I mean, let's be, yeah, well, yeah, but I'm just I mean, kidding. no, but I'm not, I'm farthest thing from gay, but I, like I said, I always, uh, like, for example, one girl I, I dated for a while, um, Lynn Oker, she was the daughter of the University of Rochester athletic director. She was a very nice girl. We had a great time. She wound up uh, going out with the captain of the Amherst, <laughs> and that kind of, I guess I was out of her league. Did you ever come close to popping the question, no. getting married? Never came no, close? No, no, no. No? No. All right. I think we covered it all. What did we miss? Is there anything getting, uh, I don't know. I hope you don't have any more. Did you ever rekindle with your dad before he uh, was no. gone? No. No? Oh, God. I'm sorry, nope. Bob. Um, no, he passed away. One thing. Um, well, this, again, I don't. Boy, you're a good interview. You can get anything out of anything. I'm, I'm my just dad died. Here. I did not go to the funeral. I didn't go to the funeral. Come on. No. Do you regret but, that? No. But, well, no, there was nothing between us at the end, uh, and not mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. for 30 years. And it just would have been hypocritical. And, no, I didn't. He, left, he had money. You know, they paid for the – they didn't need any help financially for the funeral or anything. Um, but then um, one thing, when my mother died, he got two burial plots at Whitehaven, in Pittsburgh, probably the nicest, well, one of the, at the time, was the nicest um, uh, cemetery in town. So my mother was buried, and he was going to 
he got two plots, one for him and one for her. When he died, another thing I, did, I didn't like, um, he's buried at Mount Hope Cemetery. Oh, he didn't use the plot no. that he had? Well, because he didn't, probably didn't want to embarrass my stepmother, who uh-huh. he actually lived with longer than he lived with my mother. Uh-huh. So, so I, when I go... You're going you know, next to your mom? Yeah, I, but I had to get permission from my three younger sisters, and they all understood. That's really so. sweet. I, I think that's a really good way to end the podcast. I mean, that's an interesting piece of, piece of information, that you are going to take that spot that your father should have had. And well, my mother adored me, and yeah. I, I adored her. Oh, we, we were really Bob. tight. You know what she used to do? She I used never to, knew that story. Well, when I, was in, uh, when I was in sixth and seventh grade, my mother would do napkins with little jokes on them with cartoons. She was a very good artist. She, and I would take him to school for, for lunch. I'd show all the kids. And when you're sixth and seventh grade, they thought it was really cute. <laughs> but then when you get a little older, then it gets corny. So I remember one day I just told Mom, could you not, you know, when you're an adolescent, Mom, I, could you not do any more cartoons for me? Oh. And I think that really made her sad. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. And, and I bet you were, I would But she did that. it for me, for Mom to do that for a kid. Yeah. Every day for like two years. Oh, Bob. That was pretty nice, you know. Did she, can I ask, did she leave you a note or anything? Did she no. leave a, no? Oh, God. No, unfortunately. Well, you're going to be with her in the well, end. Well. Well, she had some mental problems. She, she tried to. Uh, one day, um, we all got in the car, me and my two, there were only two younger sisters at the time. And uh, so uh, she started the car. I didn't know the garage door was closed. So I wake up. There's a puke all over the car. And I crawl out of the car and somehow open the, the door. And uh, then, again, I was pretty young. I was like six or seven years old. You were old. in there with her? Yes, and my sisters. <sighs> but I, I, just, I just happened to, I don't know, I woke up. And, oh, my God. And so then she disappeared for a while. And until I grew up and put two and two together, something my father would never talk about, uh-huh. um, she went away, I think, for like six months or so. Just, just, just went away. And... Just they, mom, mom will be sick. Remember, mom's yeah, sick. She'll she be back probably, in six months. Probably went to yeah, of course. Mind cleared up, you know. Yeah. Oh my God, Bob! I didn't know you had that trauma in your life. I'm so well, sorry. A lot of people have trauma, but you adored you your were, mom so you, much. That's why you never got married, you know, because nobody was ever going to live up to your mom. I'm not the pl- trying to I don't play know. therapist. Well, no, I didn't. But, I also didn't have time. I didn't have time. I, I mean, I just didn't have. I would always be married to my work and I was hey 42 years with a paper what 35 of them as a columnist how many mm-hmm. guys have been columnists 35 years um, 35 years as a uh, talk show host try to do a good job you did a good job but I wouldn't add time I mean I'm doing a column two talent two columns a day and a talk show there wasn't much time left for other things. You know? What's uh, what's Joe doing these days? The hot chick from high school. Maybe. Oh, she married a. You know how some people sell cars. Yeah. Guy she married sold airplanes. Oh. <laughs> so she. I bet he, she's he still hot away. too. Well, she's a. Uh, oh, I don't. I don't know about that. Probably. Yeah. Did you say he passed away, so she's single now. Is that what uh, you said? I'm sure she got scooped up pretty quickly. You want me to they show you? lived in Denver. Let's go on Facebook and look her up. No. You want me to show you how to do it? Come on, slide into her DMs, Bob. You deserve to be happy in the. Uh, oh, man. Bob, thanks for doing this. This was Paulie, cool. Paulie, you're too good of an interviewer. I don't. I, uh, I didn't do anything. You I just said talked. too much. You I didn't know. You asked me, I tell you. You asked me, I told you. Thank you, Bob. Congratulations on uh, that. Is a huge career. Nobody, you've got 70 plus years in. Yeah, but what do I have to show for it? Now I had just had the longest week of my life. You need horrible. a hobby. You need a new hobby. What? Uh, I don't know. There's nothing to do. <laughs> That's right. Nothing's like open. I told myself. Well, you're well, reading gonna... a book. You can start reading. You've got a book yeah, in front of you right book. now. <laughs> What's it called? Once They Moved Like the Wind, Cochise, Geronimo, and the Apache Wars. All right, and I'm enjoying go. it. Yeah. I'm a history major. I actually fell asleep just while you were reading the title of the book. I That's was a history we'll... major. And, uh, <laughs> all right. Um, but anyway, why don't so, you travel? Are you a traveler at all? No, no, no. If you're a hit, you're a little bit of a history buff. Yes. Well, maybe I was do, a history major. Do a little travel and history major. One on. reason I get Gettysburg was because I like 
Civil War history, yeah. you know. Maybe a little travel. Look, go look at some no. historical sites. No. Back to Gettysburg, the old stomping ground. I'll be happy when I when I finally get my cable TV installed on yeah. June first. I'll be very happy. Bob, thank you for doing this, man. Paulie, you're a good man. Happy and retirement. One thing, Paulie, I'm going to tell you. I told Paulie he knew it all along, Go but ahead. I told Paulie several months ago, Paulie, you know, you're you're very good on the radio. You you could be a <laughs> champion in the radio, but you're not going to be a millionaire. No. <laughs> with this sauce you're working on. That's your future. Yeah. Did yeah. I say that? You did. You did. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. You did. Okay, thanks, I Paul. did. You're right. I knew for months, but thank, thank you for you, the Paul. advice. <laughs> thanks, Bob.